you much for your prayer, and it's great to be with you tonight. I also want to just comment on that last song. It's, it's one I don't remember singing before, and it's, it's an unusual genre. I, th- I think we'd call it a lament, probably, if you were to think of the, the categories in the book of Psalms. And, and we often sing songs of praise and celebration and thanks, but not too many songs of lament. And I, I think we need that to be fully true to life and, and our emotions and, and what happens and what we need. And so just wanted to thank you for that song. The words were very meaningful and I think, I think powerful. I, I am a student, as, as was mentioned, at Edinburgh Theological Seminary. Uh, God willing, will uh, graduate with a Bachelor of Theology in May and planning to go back in September to do a Master's. This is my, my long break from being a pastor, which I was in Canada, uh, trying to pick up a few tools I didn't get the first time around. So it's been a good experience. Uh, my family and I have served different churches in the summer, and this summer, rather than moving, we're, we're staying put in Calderkirks, but serving a church in Kirkcaldy called Connect Church there. And if, if the Lord brings us to mind, please pray that we would be uh, a help to them, and the Lord would make that fruitful. And uh, perhaps we'll, we'll see you again in the, the coming school year. But we just want to say thank you for being a, a witness in this community. Thank you for being a united and a loving family. And, and thank you for your welcome. Last week I spoke about spiritual formation, this journey God has us on to make us like Jesus. And I, I hope this week as, as we reflect, as you take time to chew on what you've, you've learned on Sunday and as you take your own time with the Lord and in the Word... I hope and, and I pray that, that you will have a, a fresh sense of wonder at simply the fact that you have a relationship with God if you are a believer. Because to know God is, there are no words to describe how incredible that is. And, and I hope you'll have a fresh uh, gratitude and joy in the fact that that God is shaping you to reflect his image. The image that he, he impressed on Adam and Eve in which we we so terribly marred through our sin that he's, he's at work faithfully to restore that. And last week I shared from the scriptures how he's got a goal in mind and that's to make us like Christ, to be conformed to the image of Jesus from Romans 8, 29. And then we looked in, in contradistinction to that end is the beginning where we begin by having Christ formed in us, having a faith in Jesus that Christ is enough for everything. And I wake up every morning knowing I'm accepted because of Jesus alone. I can live for God because of Christ alone. And tonight, I'd like to read the scriptures with you as we go through the message. I hope that's okay. I know that may be a little different. But we're going to begin tonight in Philippians 3. And I want to look at, we've looked at the beginning, we've looked at the end. What's happening in the middle And we'll look at the place of suffering. We'll look at the transformation of our minds. And and we'll look at what does it mean to to gaze on Jesus in our everyday life. So in Philippians, we're introduced to the idea of suffering. We're going to look at a a few verses from chapter 3 to begin with. The, The context here, Paul is sharing, and he's he's been a Christian now for probably two and a half, three decades, and suffered much for Jesus. He's writing from prison. And in this section of Philippians, uh, 
to the church in Philippi, he's in a sense answering the question, when you know you've been accepted by God solely because of Jesus, for nothing you've done, what desire does that produce in you? What is your heartbeat when you realize the acceptance that you have with the Father? And he describes it here. He says, uh, we'll read from verse 7 to verse 11. Chapter 3, Philippians. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, on the basis of faith, and listen to verse 10, because we'll focus in on it. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, what I'm doing over uh, these two weeks, last week and this week, is looking at the idea of spiritual formation. So I will not be walking through everything in this text, but I want to focus in on the language of formation because it's, it's a, an idea, a thread that runs through the New Testament. And where that occurs here is in verse 10 where he says he wants to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him. And uh, in the original text, it's the language of being formed with him, uh, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. If the question is, when you know God has accepted you because of Christ and Him alone, what is your heartbeat then? This is the answer. I want to be conformed to Him. To His life? Absolutely. But not only that, he says. To, to His suffering and becoming like Him, literally being conformed to Him in His death. Where in Romans 8, it talks about how we're going to be conformed to the image of His Son, where I, I, I shared the, the illustration how my daughter and my wife are often uh, interchangeably mistakable for one another. Uh, and in a sense, I, I can mistake one for the other. And, and you, you could, if you, if you saw them or heard them on the phone. Jesus is, is going to be so... He's going to make you so much like him that you'll almost be mistakable for Jesus. That's the idea there. But it's not just his character and his, his, his majesty, his goodness, but here it's his suffering. It's his suffering. And I wonder how often you think about being joined to Christ in his suffering in your everyday life. I wonder if you see your sufferings that you have been experiencing in the past month, for example, in light of your fellowship with Christ. What is this about? Well, let's connect some dots here. He's, he's recalling something he said earlier in Philippians, chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. In Philippians 2, he, he uses the language of formation again there to speak about Jesus. He says that Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Where it says he was in nature God, it, it, literally the word there is form again. We have this language coming up. 
he was in form or nature God, but he was made uh, to take the nature or the form of a servant. And he says, I want to take the form of Christ. And Christ was glorious. Christ was God. But he became a servant. And he became a servant who was willing to suffer. He became a servant who was willing to suffer and die. And Paul says, I want that for me. Let's turn the question around. Do you want that for you? Can I tell you something I learned about myself when when we moved to the UK two and a half years ago? I learned that I don't want that for me. I learned that I am entitled. And every every public service we had to, to work through, the banks and our mobile phones and God bless them, BT, all of, all of these different experiences drew out of me my enormous sense of personal entitlement, which I, I had no idea was lurking there. And I realized how, how little I like suffering and how minor problems can awaken this huge dislike for suffering. And as I reflect on the scripture, I realize how, how wrong that is. Because this says I need to understand that suffering is not optional, but it's essential for my destiny. If my destiny is to be like Jesus, the pathway, what happens in the middle, is going to include suffering, which in the hands of God is his tool to make me like Jesus. What are you suffering through right now? Could you reframe that from whatever it's been and say, I, I'm going to believe this is the tool in the hand of God to make me like Jesus. And I'm going to find joy in that fact. I'm going to choose that. You have union with Christ in his death in order to have union with him in his resurrection. So through that union, you will have power. But through that same union with Christ, you're going to have pain. Here's a, here's a question just to think about. In the church, how much does the church embrace the pain that accompanies obedience to him? How often do we want to obey Christ up to the point where we're still comfortable? But one step beyond that is very hard. How much of the resurrection power of of Christ does the church experience? Is it possible that that point at which we stop and we don't want the pain is the point at which we would begin to experience a level of resurrection power we currently do not know? Suffering. The persecuted church has much to teach us about this. I I remember a a book I read which deeply impacted me by... uh, a student of the persecuted church named Nick Ripkin who has traveled the world interviewing believers who live in persecution. One of his stories came from a communist nation where church was illegal and a father felt he wanted to read the Bible with his children. He began to, to he, had, he managed to have a copy of the Bible and began to read it with them and they, they decided they would sing together and neighbors observed what was happening. I guess the sound came through the doors or the windows. And others who were believers wanted to join them. And 
and did, and this group grew. He was just doing family devotions, but it grew to 30 or more people. And the authorities heard and came and said, it's illegal for you to have a church. You must shut this down. He said, well, this isn't the church. It's just reading the Bible and singing some songs and talking about what the Bible means. <laughs> Sounds like church, though, doesn't it? And, and they said, no, you have to shut it down. And they broke into one of his meetings one day and were very, very stern and harsh with him and warned him of the trouble that would come if he didn't shut it down. And this, this old lady stands up and addresses the official and you might say that she, she spoke prophetically to him and said that God was going to judge him for what he was saying to this man of God. And a week later, that man died. This official dropped dead. And this fear of God kind of swept the village. The meetings grew. But the man who was leading them, this father, who was leading family devotions, was arrested. And he was sent to prison for years and separated from his family. And they all suffered immensely. There are so many stories Nick tells like that in, in his book. I'd encourage you to look him up. But we have something to learn from this, the persecuted church that they have been willing to obey past the point of uncomfortable. And they've also seen the power of God in, in judgment, in miracles, in provision, and, and simply the ability to persevere. How much resurrection power will we know if we can say with Paul, I want to be conformed to Christ's suffering? And what will that do in our testimony to the world when they see a people like that? I want to turn with you to another passage. I want to turn to Romans. We're looking at the language of formation in, in the New Testament. If you, if you could look under the hood at the, the original language, you'd see that the, the words we're looking at are all interlinked with the, the, a word group associated with formation. And, and we see some more of that here in Romans 12. We'll read uh, just verses 1 and 2 together. Again, a letter from the Apostle Paul, a missionary to the first generation of church, church planter. And he's writing, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'm going to think especially about verse 2 just now. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the context here is verse 1, where he says to offer your bodies to God as worship. And this is in view of God's mercy, in view of all that God has done, which the earlier chapters in Romans explain. The gospel motivates us to give ourselves, and then he's saying, going beyond that, there's this transformation. And it's on the level of our thinking. It's the issue of what's in our minds. And this is a theme that comes through Romans. In, in chapter 1, it speaks of the, the depravity, the, the evil of the human mind apart from Christ. In chapter 7, it speaks about how the war that we're in against sin takes place at the level of, of your mind. 
And in, in, in chapter 11, near the end, he thinks of, of God's mind. Because God's thoughts are incredible. And he says, who has known the mind of the Lord? And here now he's talking about renewing our minds. First, he says, don't be conformed to what? To the pattern of this world. So this is um, to do with being not formed from the inside, but being formed from the outside. Something that's trying to, to press its shape upon you, being conformed. As you live through this coming week, pay attention to the ways that the world is seeking to mold you. Do you know what I'm talking about? It, it's, it, it's a mindset, it's a set of values, it's a way of living and thinking that the culture is, is discipling us. It's discipling everyone. To disciple is to, is to teach, to teach a way of life. And uh, one, one church leader said, our culture is doing a better job of making disciples than we are. What do you think? Is that true? It's doing a pretty good job, isn't it? And uh, Nancy Piercy, uh, she's a, a Christian cultural critic. She, she observed through her research, it's possible to attend church, to attend a youth group, to attend Bible study, and, quote, still absorb a secular view of truth from the global secular culture. A secular view of truth with regard to what it means to be human, what our sexuality is about, the place of right, you know, what is right and wrong, the place of telling the truth, all these value issues. If we were to stop and think, what are some of the isms that describe how the world is, is maybe seeking to mold every one of us? Would you say secularism, the idea of you know, living outside of the idea of God, materialism, living for stuff and this world is all there is, consumerism, you need the new one, don't you? You need a better one, don't you? Our identity, issues of idolatry and rebellion, of power, autonomy, entitlement, security, all of these things are tied into that pressure on our, our, our lives and our minds. He says, do not be conformed. Do not let it do that to you. How? Here's how. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, if, if to be conformed is something pressing from the outside to shape you from the outside in, this word transform is the opposite. It's a bit like when you go to sleep tonight, <coughs> invisibly and hidden to you, your body will be rebuilding cells that are in need of that. Your, your, your brain will be being re restored and you'll awake renewed on the outside because some renewal has happened on the inside, right? And this is what happens, what God does in our minds, the renewing of our mind. Who does this? Well, we'll look at this text in a moment, but in, there's one other text where this word to be transformed is used. And it's in, in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And the, the agent there doing it is the Holy Spirit. And the transformation is 
It's a very powerful image. It's the word from which we get metamorphosis. Do you know that word? In, in science, we've been just this week catching amphibians uh, because they're out. And so we have kids and why not? I hope you don't mind. But they, they start as tadpoles or whatever, and even an egg, but it becomes a tadpole and it grows into a frog or a toad, something completely different than a tadpole. And that's the kind of change we are believing God to bring about in our lives, in our minds, and from our minds to our, our whole lives. So he's renewing us. And in the New Testament, when it speaks about renewing, it's, it's regularly pointing to the Holy Spirit. He's the one making us new, doing that work. It's related to the fact that you've been joined to Christ in his death, joined to him in his resurrection. It comes out of your union with Christ. And there's a fruit that comes from that. The impact of being renewed in the New Testament is that you can persevere, is that you can stick to the mission and not get distracted. But as an individual, as a church, you stay on mission with Jesus. You know why you're here. Uh, the fruit of it is, is love. And that your faith isn't just compartmentalized over here and here's the rest of my life over here, but the whole of your life is ordered around what Christ has done for you and living with him and for him. And the fruit of renewal is when the people of Airdrie see you, they notice something. That unbelievers, that, that civic authorities see you and say, what is it? That's how the New Testament describes the fruit of, of renewal. If you're interested in some texts, I could, I could point you to them. But that, that comes from 2 Corinthians, Colossians, and Titus, the renewal language there. So the Holy Spirit is doing this. Where is he doing it? When is he doing it? Can I tell you, I have a hunch that he is at work renewing us, renewing our minds, much more of the time than we're actually aware of it. Do you think? That, that maybe if, if, if we were able to give him a little more of our attention, we could engage more with him in that process. Whether you are doing the dishes at home, commuting from work, having a conversation with, with your adult child or, or your child at home, maybe even in your quiet time, Hopefully, uh, certainly, we'll think especially about that in a moment. But just in the stuff of life, if Holy Spirit is always with us, don't you think he'd always be at work to renew us? What if we pray that we, we could be attentive to how he's doing that? And, and what are the areas of thought that he would be renewing? Often we think that God's only concerned with our religious life. But who invented life? Who invented your job, who invented all of the stuff that we have in creation and that we interact with. It's God. Again, Nancy Piercy said, true wisdom is seeing every field of knowledge through the lens of truth. Government, economics, science, business, and the arts. Every field of knowledge through the lens of truth. So that's what he's doing. He's helping you to reappraise what's true and to make better and better choices in 2018. He's renewing your mind. This is the formation that he's doing. 
And as, as you read through Romans 12, you'll notice there's more to the chapter. We won't read it all. We won't talk through it all. But just to touch on it, verses 3 to 5, do you know what it's about? If you just skimmed over it, what do you see? You're going to see interdependency in the body of Christ. Can I suggest something? That this is describing the effect of transformation, that you learn to depend on each other more, not just be autonomous. It's the effect, but it's also the means of transformation, that we rely on each other, that the Holy Spirit in you is going to be shaping me and helping to shape my thinking and, and vice versa. And it goes on and we see the gifts of the Spirit that are at work to build up the body uh, through verses 5 to 8, that spiritual formation results in service. It's not just you sort of as, as a, like a monk or a nun off there in your, your quiet, holy place being formed, but that we come from formation into service of one another in all the different ways God's gifted us. And as you read on from verse 9 to the end, what is biblical spiritual formation doing? It's not stopping at the front doors, or in the case of tonight, the back doors of the church. It's breaking out of the church and into the community. That's the effect of spiritual formation. So we are headed to this goal to be formed, conformed to the image of Christ. It begins by having Christ formed in us, this conviction that Christ is enough. God accepts me, not because I can say I did everything right, but Jesus did, and he paid for my sin, and that's why I'm loved and accepted. I grow from there to here, and what's happening in the middle, God's forming you through suffering, God's forming you by transforming your mind. And finally, I want to look at a particular practice, we could say, that, that the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse, we'll just look at verse 18. And the context here is Paul's talking about the new covenant and the glory that's revealed in that new covenant. And what happens is we gaze on it. And verse 18 is what we see here. So 2 Corinthians, a letter again from, from Paul to a church in the city called Corinth. Verse 18, it says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, look for the formation language here, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into his image. This text answers the question, how? How are we being transformed into his image? What can I do? What, what gets us moving in that direction? He said there was a veil over the hearts of, of Jews reading the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. But in Christ, the veil has been removed. There isn't anything blocking you from seeing the glory of God now. Because if you have trusted in Christ, you're, you're God's child and you can see. And he says everyone is, we all have these unveiled faces. We're contemplating the Lord's glory. And, and contemplate, it's, some translations would, would literally say, look, look in a mirror. It's, it's like seeing a reflection. It's it's like if you have your cell phone and you, you take a picture of, of somebody 
and you keep that image there and you always see that person. It, that's the idea there, that we're, we're constantly gazing again and again at the Lord, at his glory. And it's, again, to take a, an illustration, it's a bit like, like sun tanning. And you might have gone to uh, a hot place for a holiday and enjoyed some sun and the effects of the sun remain on your body. And it's either a, a lovely brown or it might be a, a, an awkward pink, a red, lobstery. But the effects are there, right? And th that's, that's the idea that we're gazing on Jesus. And as you do, it can't help but leave its mark. He can't help but leave his image on you. You've had a Jesus suntan. And it says that we are transformed. Now, to be trans, it doesn't say we transform ourselves. It says we are transformed. It means we're experiencing something from the outside. Somebody is acting upon you to transform you. And it's, it says here, it's coming from the, whole, the Lord who is the Spirit. It's important for us as believers that we not minimize the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, we know that God is one, but he's three, that he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We often make much of the Father, we often make much of the Son, but sometimes the Holy Spirit is a little bit neglected in our theology or, or in our, our thinking, in our practice. But he's the one acting every moment of your life to transform you. And there's a process that's here. We, we place ourselves into the sun, as it were. How? What is the word here? It says we contemplate his glory. That, that was the, looking at your, the, the image on your cell phone or gazing in, in the mirror. Gazing at him. What is that talking about? I, I don't think he, put, he specifically defines it. But if, if you were to simply use your imagination, what does it look like with the eyes of your heart to gaze on Jesus? That's one reason we, we gather as a church, so that we can worship him. That helps us to, to set our gaze on him, the gaze of our heart. That's one reason in, you've probably heard your pastor encourage you to have a, a daily quiet time, meaning time where you read your Bible and pray and listen to God, because it, it just creates a rhythm of orienting your eyes towards the sun so you can receive that Jesus suntan. But again, it's, it's not something to be isolated in a moment, though those moments can help to orient us for the day or for the week. But what would it be for us to be able to, like, like the psalmist said in Psalm 16, I have set the Lord always before me. What if he was always just right there in our minds? Whatever it would look like for us to grow as a people who, who contemplate the Lord's glory. What is going to happen then? We're accessing this transformative power of the Holy Spirit. I, I think some of us have heard stories of those who, who, who spend an hour or two or three you know, in God's presence in their their prayers, and you think, well, I'll never be like that. I'm just, I'm just a lowly, ordinary Christian. But 
who is it we're gazing at? It's Jesus. And how much transformation can happen even in a moment's glance towards him? I don't think we could limit it. This is Jesus we're talking about. Every, every time we can turn our mind's eye to him, he's working in you. And he's drawing you into the relationship that Jesus himself has with the Father. He's making your character more and more like him, less and less like the world. And he's, he's preparing you for your ministry and your purpose and your job here, but also for the eternity that, that God has placed in our hearts that we're going to spend with him. If, if spiritual formation is so significant, what do we do? Just to sum up, we set our eyes on the destination. We're not going to stay the way we are. We're going to be like Jesus. We always keep the foundation in place. Christ formed in you that confidence that God accepts me by grace through Jesus. Keep preaching the gospel to yourself. And, and we understand and we embrace the ways that God is going to transform us. He's going to use the suffering in your life this year to make you like Jesus if you let him. He's going to be at work transforming your mind and try to be aware of how he's doing that and who he's using and when he's speaking to you. And he's going to be calling you to, to take blocks and moments of time where you just gaze on him and his presence. The, the sunbeams of his face begin to shape who you are. And all of that draws us more into, into the joy of knowing God and into the purpose we have of bringing him glory and making him known here. Let's pray together. Let's invite him to continue that work in every one of us tonight as we close. Father, we thank you that you are shaping us. We thank you that uh, the, the version of David that they're seeing tonight is not the final version. And the version of each other that we're seeing tonight is, is not the final version either because you are renewing us in a way that is is nothing short of miraculous and took nothing less than the sufferings and death of the Son of God and his resurrection from death. We thank you too that because Christ suffered and rose, we are guaranteed that you will finish what you started in us. And Lord, may we not set our sights on simply uh, earthly goals to the, the neglect of, of the great goal that you have to to restore us to our full humanity reflected in Jesus. May we encourage and help each other in that. And may we pursue you as we read that Paul did. And may the world see the difference. And in all of this, may more disciples be made in Airdrie, in Scotland, and in the nations. And, and may you, our God, receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.